start a podcast but i'm like yeah i don't know what it would what would i talk about so. you talk about anything that's true it's a great thing about a podcast you really just do your own thing even if you just start it and you don't exactly know what it's about i feel like i've already been discovering that okay the more i do this the more i think i'm like whittling down my direction of what i want to do with this but yeah sometimes you just gotta throw just it out there and start it. Kenneth, you're a stylist at Chrome Rose Salon. You're a DJ as well. Mm. You are a world traveler. I try to be. Uh -huh. Mostly on, what are we, in the Western Hemisphere, but yeah. on both sides. And you've also been my friend for a long-ass time. I know, probably at least almost 15 years. I'm like, I don't know, math I, anymore. I, I think we're closer to 20 at this point. She... So, <laughs> oh yeah, this is a, it's a friendly, Cute. explicit podcast. I know when I was talking to Amber after she recorded hers, I was like, as I just did it, I'm like, if I ever get on this podcast, I have to edit so I don't say so much because mm -hmm. I just did an interview for the new wussy like print issue of my friend mm -hmm. like transcribed everything and it was embarrassing how many times i said that i was like oh my god so with a podcast and you like discovering like what your podcast is about you also if you start a podcast figure out how to edit these things and the first podcast i did with amber it took me so fucking long to edit it i made so many mistakes it took me i probably spent like at least 10 hours on this stupid podcast. Yeah. And I was like, I don't, I, by the end of it, I'm like, I know that I'll figure this out and do better, but if it's going to be like this, there's no way I'm going to do it. Yeah. But I have figured out like my hacks with it. And there's this one program called Descript, which this should be a, a fucking ad for Descript because you literally just put your video, your audio in it, and it can scan everything. And all those filler words like, like and and ums and yeah but and this but it can make you can literally highlight all those words and just click delete and it doesn't just take it out it like seamlessly cuts it out so where it's not super choppy yeah it's crazy i was wondering because she told me that you edit it yeah the first it. that's such a weird word to say but I was like, damn, that must take a long time. The first time I did it, like, manually, and I was like, this is stupid. And plus, it was, like, me and Amber, and Amber was very ambitious with likes, because that's just mm -hmm. how she talks. That's how we both talk. But it's crazy, because now, with each episode, I average, with all those filler words, I average about, I think, like, 800 in an hour between two people. It's crazy. But what are you supposed to use instead? That's why I'm trying to wonder. I remember my like ninth grade honors lit teaching mm -hmm. an asshole about the word. And I was like, 
What? How am I supposed to structure this sentence? What a boomer. You're supposed to teach me. Whatever. Yeah. I think it's a practice too. Like, literally, it's so hard to not say it. But the more I listen to like other podcasts and other people talk, I can see that, oh, they're like a really good talker. And that's crazy to say, but it's a discipline and I'm nowhere near. You'll get there because that, but. That's the thing, too, where you don't understand, because I don't know if you remember Carmen, but she has her podcast, and I listen to it a lot, and I know Carmen as we hang out now, so we're just kicking and being idiots together and sounding very ignorant and uneducated, but mm-hmm. then I hear her on her podcast, I'm like, wow, I didn't know you could just read like this, like, I want you to read me bedtime stories. But yeah, you just have to keep doing it. It's like DJing where when people want me to teach them, it's like, I can teach you literally like the handbook of this is what you do. And here's like a trick you can do while you're still learning to mix things. But at the end of the day, it's up to you what you want to do. You have to have your own music library and your own vision as to what you want the sound to be. Because I can't teach you that. Mm-hmm. what makes you the DJ that you are. When did you get started in DJing? I started right after we started Choloteca. So it was, I think my first gig was at Gaja. And Explain what Choloteca is. So Choloteca is a Latinx party brand here in Atlanta, Georgia. I started it with my cousin Josephine and our friend Monica Campana and Randall Ruiz. Oh my God, I almost forgot his last name. Who's DJ Florista. And we started it just because there was a lack of that within the city limits. You could find different clubs to go dance, like different Latin music, like salsa and whatever. But they're all like closer to Doraville, Buford Highway, where a lot of those communities are. However, it still didn't feel very accepting or inviting for people like us who are queer and first generation. And so that's what we wanted to create because we also had such a wide spectrum of music that we listened to. It wasn't just the classics, but we wanted to play that too. For me, it was like, I want to show people all this other like alternative music that you can dance to it doesn't always have to just be late at night at the end of an mjq night where you beg the djs like okay can you play the salsa song for us but so yeah we started that and it was in september of 2016 so it was right before trump got elected and it was just kind of, first we started we just had a house party that we threw to just get the vibes because i had done something like that a few years prior with my friend Diego and we not so politically correct or whatever named it the brown party and it was fun but I just remember texting my mom like oh my god who sang this song I can't remember I need to play it right now but yeah so we threw a house party and it was fun so we were like okay how do we do this as a real thing and then we collaborated with Luis Sandoval when he still worked for PBR. So we got some sponsorship money from them, had our first event, I think on the first day of Latinx Heritage Month in 2016 at Star Bar. And it was just like a line out the door the whole night. So 
it was clearly something that was like wanted and needed. And I think especially in that time period when Latinos were specifically getting so targeted and xenophobic like comments from our soon to be president, I think that kind of ignited a lot of people's pride in their culture because for me like growing up and being in my early 20s like I was in punk bands we used to play shows together and now if I was in a band again it'd definitely be like okay I'm bringing this kind of Latin flair to things which is what I do when I DJ but I never let that kind of manifest itself back then and it wasn't that I was like ashamed of it but it just wasn't there wasn't anywhere to express it and then I remember in that scene meeting my friends Olenka and Carolina and being like, wait, what? You guys are like Colombian and Peruvian too? And you listen to salsa music and not just like this shitty punk music that we like listen to in the basement of this house show. And so that kind of started like the rekindling of that. And then, yeah, after specifically the Pulse shooting, it just, it made me feel like, all right, I need to get back to a place where all of my different personalities intersect because they do. So that's how Choloteca started. And then pretty soon after that, everyone else that was a part of it was like, you should start DJing. And I was like, okay, why not? And I was a horrible DJ. (laughs) I remember that first gig. It was just like literal playlist DJ. I was just like, ooh, the fade from this song to the next one is really good. But not even because you can just put that as one of your settings in Spotify. But that's what everybody thinks a DJ does is just be a playlist DJ until you actually see a good DJ and you're like, oh, once you spot the difference, you're like, that's a good DJ. Yeah, definitely. And especially when I was first starting out, I did as I mean I had music theory background to a degree because I used to be in bands and play but I am self-taught in pretty much everything I've done here including so I never really learned like really what timing is and keys and all that so when I was in a grimes playing keyboard it would always be like I have to like listen to you guys play this first and then think about how I want this to sound in my head like I hear Mm -hmm. how this synth how I want this organ sound to be but I just don't know how to actually play that and then just like literally fumbled into it so with DJing That was definitely how it was. Like, I had the music in my head, but I was just like, I don't know how to do all this. Especially because back then, too, it wasn't just, oh, I'm playing a house set, so everything's at 120 BPM, and it's easy to mix together. It was just like, oh, no, we're going from this, like, reggaeton song to this, like, weird electronic song, then to a salsa song. And it's a challenge, but it can be done. But... I did not know all of that at first. And so I just used to get wasted before my like performances because I was so nervous. And I was like, I don't mm-hmm. know how to do this. And it seemed to work out for a while, but obviously that's not a sustainable way of doing anything. So especially in the past couple years, like really honing in on like, all right, 
I need to be more conscious and aware of what I'm doing and not just like on the fly per se. Because I think the older we get, you just realize like doing this in general, like tearing my body down, getting drunk and whatever. It's fine in moderation, but like every time it can't be that way, especially because... I would get a little messy sometimes, but... You always sounded great. Thank you. There are definitely times where I was just like shame spiraling the next day. I was like, wow, that was horrible. I can't believe I did that. But there are lessons to learn, and I think I've learned from them. (laughs) So what's your approach now with a set or like with DJing? Do you you still drink and... I do DJ, like still usually take like a baby shot before because I still I can't help it. I still get a little nervous and just like butterflies in my stomach. So it just helps to settle that. Like this past weekend, I DJed a wedding and then right after that, I DJed a rave. But the rave was really cool. But even then, I was still like my hands were like shaking while I was up there. And I was just like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Just calm down. You know how to do this. But it was also really cold and in a skate park warehouse. But it was really cool. But yeah, so I'll still do, I'll still drink and like I'll smoke weed. But I don't do it to the level where like back in the day I would be like, get me a shot like every 10 minutes. Because I Mm -hmm. was just like, I need to just not care and just go for it. I feel like I finally understand my technical achievements or how to dj in that sense so i'm like i know how to do this so i don't need that like liquid courage anymore and then that way it gives way for more experimentation and be like okay i know how to do this so why don't we like use this effect and see what this does and just do it on the fly that's like the kind of like your or the opposite of imposter syndrome where it's like you you have the experience, you know how to do it, you don't have to rely on alcohol to push through that anymore. Mm-hmm. And if you get nervous still, I think that's just a sign that you still love what you're doing and you're not too big-headed about it. And I think that is why you're a good DJ. It's because mm-hmm. like you're, you still take it seriously enough to the point where it, it's making you that nervous. Yeah. Because if you weren't nervous at all, it probably won't, wouldn't be that yeah. good. And I'm not going to act like I haven't acted big-headed. Like, I think every DJ goes through some kind of ego death where they're like, oh, like I, no one does what I do, and I can't believe no one wants to support me or book me. Because I've definitely been through that, and you just have to forget about it. Because at the end of the day, even if it is true, or unfortunately we live in this world where... The powers that control like nightlife or whatever, they're usually not caring about you as a person or as an artist. They're just looking at their numbers, which you can't necessarily hate, but you have to put that aside and just be like, I'm doing this for me and it's going to be great. And I think for me, especially, I realized as I got older, it's like, I don't have to say yes to everything because while I started DJing more, I guess, freeform, and I like to do that every now and then still, where I can just be like, oh, yeah, tonight I'm just doing whatever I want. It's not such a, like, tight-knit, oh, I have to play this set of techno for two hours, and it's got to be amazing, and I got to take all these people through with this journey. 
sometimes you just want to play the bops. But I think that's part of it too, where it's, okay, this is the direction I want to go as an artist. And I think especially in the beginning, because I'm no longer a part of the organizational team of Choloteca. And that's all Josephine, and she's killing it. Like, she's been doing an amazing programming for the past, like, two years now. But I think for myself, I realized, which is also why I wasn't becoming a better DJ, it's like, I have an issue, and I guess that is my imposter syndrome, that I don't give myself the moment to shine. And it was even that way when I was learning how to do hair, where it was just like, I need to like practice to be better. It's not just going to happen. But at the same time, it's like this fear of success. And I don't know where it comes from. It's all clearly a mental roller coaster. But I went through that with hair and I went through that with DJing. And I had to take a step back and be like, look, I need to just focus on myself for once and not feel ashamed about it or feel like I'm a bad person for that. Because it's only going to make me better for what I can contribute later to this project and stuff. Do you feel like you like weren't celebrating your own wins with like Definitely. hair and DJing? Definitely. Like even now, not so much now, the thoughts still creep in my head after every haircut or after a set where it's like, what could I have done better? Like, this could have been better. It's just, who cares? Coulda, woulda, shoulda. It's done. It happened. I know for next time I want to try this different. And so, yeah, I just realized that I need to be having fun with it. I always used to say that I don't trust DJs that one, don't dance while they're DJing, but just don't dance, period. Like, I see so many DJs that just want to go hang out behind the booth, and it's, we get it, you're a DJ too, we know. Like, you don't always constantly have to remind us. But my house is out on the dance floor, because I'm like, I'm DJing because I like to dance, but I want other people to make me dance too, and that's showing support as well. And before, I was dancing for sure, but that was because I was wasted, and then I went through that kind of hard time of figuring out how to be in a more sober mindset while doing this. And it's almost like harder because you're like, oh, I can't just, even if I do mess up, I can't be like, oh, I was drunk. But once you just, there's just a point that you reach where you've done it so many times where it's okay. Yeah, I had fun. And like this past weekend, I DJed this party called System with an X instead of a Y. And it was amazing. It reminded me of the old Atlanta that we moved to because as we know, it's rapidly changed recently and is still going to all these like underground divey old haunts are disappearing. And I think when we first came into the scene, there was so much DIY, there were so many house shows. And so this was at a place called Village Skate Park, which is, I don't know, I was kind of lost when I was there, but it's closer to the west side like west midtown area fine city i would say yeah but it was a huge amazing warehouse and it was just like the vibe that's been missing from atlanta but especially just like these party promoters shout out to olive what they curated there too and i don't know now i'm obsessed with having a skate park during the rave. I'm like, yeah, I want skaters like skating around every time I'm playing a set. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, let's do it. 
But uh, I forgot where I was going with that. Like Atlanta has changed so dramatically since we first really moved to it. And it does feel like a completely different city. And like, I'm, it's not like I'm okay with it, but I've accepted it. And I know it's just a lot of it's gentrification, but I've also moved myself and our family out of the city. So I'm not as connected with that or like a part of the nightlife scene anymore, but it's encouraging to hear that those places still exist. Yeah. And I definitely felt it when I got to this event and I was just like, all right. I feel it now, even when I like go to Mary's and stuff and it's just, damn, I'm the older person here now, but (laughs) whatever, because that's thing too, where not so much like my age specifically, like generation, we definitely have like, as far as being a queer person, like elders for those people that are not that much older than me we lost almost a whole generation because of HIV and AIDS and stuff like that so it's really nice to be able to see this new generation of younger queer people just not giving a fuck and celebrating and having fun and coming out and doing it and I'm like this is not what when I was their age like that wasn't a thing yet to feel as comfortable in your own skin and feel encouraged to be that because social media and Instagram was like just coming out and everything sucked and had a horrible grainy filter. But did you feel like you had an elder or someone you looked up to when you first moved to Atlanta? I feel like my mentor, I mean, they're only a year older than me, but was my cousin Edric because Whereas I I was the first in my whole family to move to the city and then they all like eventually started to and I clung on to the punk scene and the music scene and was in bands and that stuff and he went more towards the queer scene and when Rhea was still alive, Rhea Pell, they had the festival called Mondo Homo which they would do at Friends on Ponce. And so he was always in that world. And I remember he moved to Seattle for a few years. He's back now, but I had to have gone to Mary's before that a few times at least because it's next door to 529 where I lived like most of my early 20s. But it was almost a handing of the reins because he was leaving. He's like, you got to keep it going. And I was like, oh my God, okay, like what? And So I learned a lot from him and just growing up too, we were each other's kind of like safety nets. Be like, okay, this is what I think I am. How do you feel? Because where we grew up, it was a very stark difference as to who the majority of people were. It was just like, okay, I live in this mostly white country town And not only am I brown, but I'm queer, so I stick out like a sore thumb. And I had friends in high school and stuff, and I didn't meet y'all until, like, later high school. I think you were 15 when you first came to a party at our house. I know. Which is crazy to think about. And that was such a long time ago. But that house was such a party house. And I met so many, like, lifelong friends there. I know. It's crazy how that network of going to the A-hole is still like alive today. That was the name of our party house, was yes. the A-hole. 
lovingly. But yeah, like meeting you there and like Jason and Matthew and it was just a wild crowd. Yeah, such fun parties. But yeah, that was it was just filled with hairdressers and crazy teenagers. Yeah, and that was like the age of MySpace too. So it was like the height of MySpace. We're stuck in the fucking country where we are the cool kids, we are the weirdos. So it was like, okay, this is where I can see all the other cool hot people with their mullets and like kind of high-waisted shit and it was cool. It was a very I remember the first one I went to. I think it was I can't remember if it was Billy or Tim's birthday, but it was just like a white trash theme. White and trash it, bash? Yeah. And it was like the first time I'd ever seen what I've seen in movies as far as, oh my God, like these boys are all like dancing on each other and being slutty and making out. And I was just like, what? I was also like 15 or 16. So <laughs> little baby. It was a fun party house. It was. Rest in peace. Although Jake Dudley sent me a picture the other day. He was in town and he pulled into the driveway there and took a picture and he sent it to me. And it's crazy because it looks so clean and nice. And there's like a family living there. How weird. It is so weird to think (laughs) about like, we used to throw parties with hundreds of kids there. And there was so much just alcohol spilled on the floor, cigarettes like smoked all throughout that house. It was gross. Yeah. But it's serving a family now, I guess. <laughs> so you started at Chrome Rose last year? What, yeah, was so it? October of 2022. And it's been great. Obviously, we all used to work together. And it's another thing, too, of just feeling I have a bad habit of knowing and wanting new things and needing to change it up but it's just that fear it's what happens and I don't know I had definitely gone through it right after or right before starting because I had monkeypox and it was horrible and I was delirious but I was out of work for three weeks and then It's funny that in your worst moments, this kind of gives me some clarity to everything else. Yeah. And if you get removed from your situation like that and are able just to take a step back instead of just being in it all the time. Yeah, exactly. Because then when I did go back, it was just like, all right, everything's too different here. Why are there so many people? I feel anxious all the time. And to be fair, that age of that salon was the best it's been in like the 10 years that I worked there. And I loved everyone that worked there. It had gone super queer. So it was great. But I just realized for myself that working in such a big, busy salon like that wasn't what I needed anymore. I think it's great for you as a young stylist, just coming out of hair school or an apprenticeship or whatever to get a taste of that so you know is this what I want to like work in and I think you should for the experience of it but totally after doing that for 10 years it was just like okay I'm busy enough to do this and it's fine but also in the way that the hair industry has always been I do color and cut but I'm more known for my cutting 
And the salon used this horrible program. It's not horrible, but for me it was, called Summit. And I just remember... It's very numbers-oriented, Yeah. And so meeting with the coach when we first got on it, and he was basically like, you need to stop cutting hair so much. And I'm just like, that's what I do. What do you mean? And it just made me realize that the industry as a whole doesn't care about that. They care about the cool color picture or all the extensions and how you curl to this hair and all that. And I was just like, I'm never going to like level up more because in order for me to make the same amount of money as this person who just sees two people a day and does a balayage and definitely takes advantage of, oh, I use 10 extra color bowls. And I'm like, yeah, even though they were five grams each. Come on, girl. But it was just like, I have to do 20 haircuts a day and I would need an assistant to like style and blow dry them or whatever. And I was double booking at the time and it was fine. It wasn't fine because... I love how everyone's always, you can double book, but you have to do it yourself before you get an assistant. And I was like, ain't none of y'all ever fucking done that. Like, I want to see y'all do your day right now without an assistant and tell me. Because then I had to fucking do that all the time because we would have floating assistants. And then every time I would need them, they were magically doing something else. And so... I was double booking, but like literally doing it all myself and being like, well, I hope this girl's foil doesn't melt off because it needs to be rinsed out right now. But double booking is so hard. It is. And do you double book now? No, I don't need to. And like at first, when I first started at Chrome Rose, I was like, maybe, I mean, if the space is there, once we expand, I could like, Mm -hmm. Because sometimes it is a thing where if someone's processing, I'm like, yeah, I could do a quick men's cut. But then I realized, like, the things that I am doing in that time now that is just better, like eating lunch or something like that. Crazy thought. So when you moved to Chrome Rose, you also moved to Hourly, right? I did. I had always wanted I had been doing or wanting to do that. And I brought it up at my prior salon, but... It just didn't make sense for them or they were open to it, but it was just like something that was going to be so hard to teach people. And that was my thing, because in general, I've always been I'm anti-industry in most things, but especially the hair industry, because I was always just I will never be able to be this cheesy and perky all the time. And I hate that that's the only way that hairstylists are portrayed because it's not an unpleasant person, but I'm not going to act like just did an eight ball in the bathroom either. That's the thing that's so uniquely you're very genuine. And even though because I don't have that personality either, and I rarely pretend to be like that behind the chair but my clients also know that's me and I feel like that comes across as genuine with you and that's why your clients love you yeah and I think it just makes them comfortable too because I think after a while as well you curate your clientele to a degree it feels less like work which is definitely you know, the thing about going to a more micro salon where it is basically like, I'm in charge of my own books. Chrome Rose has a following and people will book because of the name, but that compared to a salon that have 15 chairs and people are like, oh, I heard about the salon and getting random people in my chair who would become clients and it's fine, but just, I am so over 
the having a client where it's just oh, we have no chemistry like mm-hmm. do I have to be good at hair because you keep coming back and it's just <laughs> like an awkward yeah. three hours together and I just don't know what to do so it's nice that now it's more okay we you have a prior knowledge of who I am and what I'm about and that way we can kiki and it's fun and it doesn't feel like I'm having to pull something out of me that isn't genuine I think that's something that happens as you get older as a stylist too and raise your prices over a period of time it starts to weed out those clients that aren't like your ideal client yeah exactly and i think with the hourly i mean i was like let me just wean my clients into this first because i was like okay yeah i'm definitely gonna start charging more in the new year But it's still like a, for most people that come in, they're like, oh yeah, this makes so much more sense. I'm like, exactly. But it also keeps me accountable because I'm like, all right, if I'm charging this much, I need to be really on my shit and delivering every time, not only just in the product of hair, but like the experience and maintaining your space as a thing. Because then in a salon with 15 other people where five of the stylists each have three clients there at the same time it just gets fucking messy but also that energy is so erratic and frantic and for some people they thrive off of that but for me I was just like I can't like I'm already having to deal with the neuroses of some of my clients but Mm -hmm. to deal with y'all's like all around me and I'm very susceptible to those kind of energies and it like just makes me really anxious. So not having to deal with that as well is really nice because I can just literally come to work and it just feels like hanging out. Yeah, I am very sensitive to that type of energy too. And once I left a super busy salon with 15 different coworkers into my own suite, it was like the biggest just breath of fresh air. But Sometimes I used to think I thrived on that. Mm. Like at the end of the day, it, it did feel like you just went through something together. But it, I just never realized how much it wore me out. Yeah. And it just ex- completely exhausted me. When I think that's also how it was part of the industry standard. It's the industry is definitely changing, just like most things where it's no, I don't have to work myself to death, which is why like for hourly, it's better because you get more of my attention and I don't have to think about it like, oh, my God, okay, I'm you're processing someone's going to shampoo you and I have to think really quick what to put on you as a glob. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if this assistant really understands how I'm telling them to put this on. And it's just like too much room for error. Yep. And then having to pre-book your redos and all that. But yeah, I think going into it, it's just, oh yeah, no days off, hashtag. And just like working yourself to death, being like, oh my God, start of my day. We'll see how I look after this. And I'm like, that's not normal. That shouldn't be how it is. And if you're a person that likes to work like that, I get it. Because I think nowadays, especially people that do work like that, they're usually only working three days a week, which is great for a hairstylist. Like I still only work three days a week and I love it. But especially now, like after those three days, now that I am at an hourly rate, I don't, need my first day off to recover or I don't feel like 
after my third day, I'm like, now I'm going to go out and get obliterated and then waste my next day being hungover because I was just so stressed out and I couldn't believe I went through that. And But it's like I said, if you want that and you thrive on that's fine. It's just like, for me, I knew it's not going to be a sustainable thing. Yeah, I love how transparent hourly pricing is. And once I really thought about it when I was double booking before I moved to hourly pricing, so if I'm double booking, then I'm then my time's actually even cheaper. Like my hourly rate's even cheaper than I think it is. So when I transitioned to hourly pricing and you got that more one-on-one time with your clients, so this is so much easier and so much more relaxed and like my clients love it because they're getting a more relaxed version of me. They're getting more of my actual time. And like occasionally I'll double book, but I don't feel like I have to to just make a good paycheck. Yeah, literally. And we have six stations in here. And usually like max, we have four people working in a day, which is just like a good vibe. That's a good amount of people in here with their clients. And occasionally, like we keep an extra chair open if you need to double book. And occasionally that happens if you run over or whatever. But when that happens, it doesn't feel so overwhelming anymore where that used to just be my norm of just like double booked all day long. And it's maddening. (laughs) I can't believe I used to do it for so long. But yeah, I think that hourly pricing is going to be like the future of our industry or even like some sort of hybrid of it. But it's interesting too, because even now still, especially with my new price, people still ask about gratuity and tipping. Yeah. Oh, it's included. And they'll ask about that. I mean, like, so like, why is that? And for me, it's, it's different for hairstylists. It's not like we still make money off our services. It's not like we're servers that don't make anything on paper. But it's just one of those things. I tell them because this is our step as a micro salon to step away from this unethical, unsustainable way of living where you have to depend on the kindness of other people. Because I, by the time, like the past... I don't even know how long it's been now. Like, I would never look at how much people tip me unless they, like, gave me cash. But I was like, I don't need to see it, like, specifically who did what. Because at the end of the day, it was like, whatever. To my service sales, I'm still getting a good amount from that. But it just, I don't know. It, it breeds too much animosity towards certain people and just, like, this weird expectation where people feel uncomfortable because especially... In a service-based salon where it's, oh, I can quote you maybe, but sometimes it's just, you never know. I thought it was going to be this much, but it ended up being way more work. So people seeing that price tag and then having a tip on top of it, it's scary. I get it. But then that way it eliminates that shame as well to be like, yo, this is my hourly. What's your budget? What is your goal? This is what we can do with that time. And It's not going to be exactly what you were like envisioning if you're trying to be like a platinum blonde, but this is something that we can do for you. Yeah. And I think people appreciate that because then it lets them know that you're thinking about them and what like specifically like what you're going to do to them as opposed to, oh, I'm just going to do this pattern that I do on everybody and that's that. Mm -hmm. And here you go. Bye. 
Yeah, it's the transparency that it just makes more sense. Time is money. Some people require more time. Exactly. But some people still love to tip. Yeah. And they don't care if gratuity is included. They still want to tip. Oh, yeah. I definitely have some people that still do. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. If you really want to, but it's already included. Yeah. And at that point, I'm just like, all right, this is like fun money for Mm -hmm. Let's go get a tattoo or some shit. Yeah. I have, I think everybody who works at the salon now, with the exception of Joe, because Joe was already doing hourly, has transitioned into hourly pricing. And it's always fun to watch the process of them transitioning into it because first it just starts like they're super scared. Mm -hmm. Like they don't know how their clients are going to receive it. And they don't know if they feel like their hourly pricing is like this big price tag, no matter what, because it always looks like it more because you're including the gratuity in that hourly price. Yeah, And then they get in, they spend like a month or so really explaining it to their clients. But Really, it's an easier concept for people to understand than you give people credit for. Yeah. But it's always, I feel like everybody who's in the salon who's an hourly price now, like, they love it. They wouldn't go back. Yeah, because then I it's easier for them to budget in their own budgets. Yeah. I suppose I want to go a little more blonde this time, but is that going to be an extra, like, $200 or something? You never know. It's easier that way. Like, I had one client... Who comes in, not anymore every week, but my prices went up and they literally were like, oh, I don't know about that. And literally did the math. of like, That's an extra like this much a year. And I'm just like, that's how much I am. Like, I don't know what to tell you. You can start seeing each other biweekly or whatever, or I can recommend someone to you at a different price point probably at a different salon. I think that's the thing too, where at this point in our careers where it's, hey, that's fine. Mm -hmm. If you can't see me, I'm not going to beg and hope for you to stay. I'm also not going to be, there's certain people that are your like ride or dies that you'll do stuff for, but it's understanding your own self-worth and being like, no, like, I'm sorry that I no longer fit in your budget, but that's what it is. Like, I'm not going to lower my It goes back to saying no. Yeah, exactly, which mm-hmm. I love to say. It feels good to say no. That's it, it, a big stepping st- stepping point in your career, is getting to the point of not saying yes all the time. I know. I want to start saying no to Bob's <laughs> because I'm just like, <laughs> this is too much stress. I'm like, I don't care. I need at least an hour and a half for Bob. You want this perfect ass thing? I'm like, I can't do it in an hour, especially if you're coming in with like long hair. I'm like, no. It's not going to work. But I also just don't really enjoy it. So I'm like, let me like refer you to someone that's going to do it well and actually likes doing it. Because for me, I'm all about natural texture and making people fall in love with their natural texture or teaching them about that. And that's where my shtick is now with hair. This is what I do. It's Mm -hmm. like we can try different things but i'm gonna also be like are you gonna style this it's always your mom that's the one that you always have to do regardless of what you tell them i'm like i'm telling you this as a professional you're not gonna style your hair this way the why is it always your family that they're the hardest people to sit in your chair i don't know like i love my mom but 
sometimes I'm just like, why do you want this? I know you want a new look, but it doesn't have to be like this extreme or this like. Why are you the way you are? <laughs> but then I'm like, I'm the way I am because of you too. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably want a Karen like Bob someday in my life. Yeah, I always joke that hairstylists and your family members are always the worst people to sit in your chair. Mm-hmm. And so I have so many family members that are hairstylists and it just, it drives me crazy every time I try to do their hair. Yeah. It's always an argument. Doing any, anyone with any kind of knowledge of hair as well. Mm-hmm. We, in the past, I think you can always tell who's a young hairstylist and who isn't because the young hairstylists are the ones that are always have their hair done and their colors are always up to date because they don't have any clients. They, they still have a soul. Yeah, literally. So it's, of course, you have all the time to get your hair done, but it's no, because the last thing I want to do on my day off is get my hair done. And I don't know, but... I feel like when I was a younger hairstylist, people always hated doing my hair because I was like the typical like Latina, like I want to be blonde and it just never turns out how it is. And like we understand how we want to do something. And it's even though someone is fully capable, it's just no way. I want you to go at this angle or don't do this. I always tell Blake when he's cutting my hair, I'm like, don't you fucking like I know you love to shred through my hair. I don't like that as much, but at least don't do it on this side because my recession over here is a little higher. And now you're making it like, hello, what's up? Parting of the Red Sea over here. I know. I think every hairstylist would love just to be able to actually like take their head off and do their own hair. I actually do cut my own hair most of the time when it's long enough to be like fingerling. So that's the thing. And that was always my advice to like younger hairstylists. Especially the ones who are like, can you give me a bang trim? I'm like, grow the fuck up. Do your own bang trim. What the (laughs) hell are you talking about? But it was just like, at least do the front top of your hair. Do your own face frame. Because if you fuck up, hey, at least it's on yourself and you're a hairstylist. So you should know how to like at least disguise it. But then that's how you're going to learn not to fuck it up on someone else. That's true. So much of education with young stylists myself included it's just like you need to just go fuck up yeah and preferably fuck up on yourself yeah but yeah over the summer uh, of course i got to like my perfect shade of blonde and then i was very impressed by your blonde and i was and then i was like i'm gonna do it the right way now every four weeks i'm gonna get my root touch up and then my first root touch up it just, it went a little too far into the previous route. And then, not that you could really tell because I have so much hair, but there was just like so much breakage, like in one chunk. And I went up to New York and B was like, let me do a treatment. And I was like, got K18. And I was like, it's too late for me to start this now. So I shaved my head and it was the first time I'd ever shaved fully my head. And I was terrified because I was like, what if I have a weird head? But then I was like, I actually kind of love this. And then I was like, fuck it. If I'm going to keep my hair like an inch long, let's fry the fuck out of it. Might as well. And that was the other thing too. was like, I don't want to subject anyone else to have to do my hair. So I was just doing my own bleach and tones. And then at first I was like, I love having it just being like a one guard shave, shitty, like punk shaved head. But then I got my first like cholo fade and I was like, oh my God, I fucking love this. But then I realized... I have so much respect for like diehard people that go to the barbershop like weekly because I was like, 
I don't have the patience for this. If I want to keep this fade up, I have to go every week. Mm -hmm. My hair grows so fast. And I was like, no, this isn't it for me. Especially because I can do the front part of my head, like fading. But the backside, I was like, I'm not even going to attempt this. No. <laughs> There's, I'm good at fading, but not on my own head. Yeah. No way. It's going to look bad. I'm also just kind of at the point where I still have some of my clients that I'll do fades on and stuff, but it's, it is, yo, if you're really wanting this like barbershop, like grade fade, go to a barbershop. Like <laughs> I know my strengths and I can do a fade, but if you're wanting this like quick, tight, fast skin fade, like I can do it if you want to pay for a two hour appointment so I can make sure it looks good. Most of those people are booking at 30 minutes. I'm like, I'm not the one, boo. I'm fast, but I'm not that fast. You got to know your strengths. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's also a part of being an older stylist and just understanding. I'm not saying no just because I also want to say no, but it's because like I just don't have the capability of this. Like I had Sierra's brother. I did his hair and his hair was longer than hers and he wanted to go. First of all, this isn't the first time this has happened to me either, but the inspiration picture was an anime photo and I was just like, how do you want me to do this? Yeah, I'm just like, their hair doesn't move. And it was pink, but with like leopard print. And I was like, does he want to shave his head? Cause in that case, sure, I can do that. But he wanted to keep his hair long. And I'm just like, look, I'll, turn your hair pink but as far as the leopard print goes i don't understand how to do this in a sense of how it's gonna stay looking like that it's just gonna look blotchy i feel mm -hmm. and it's just not in my comfort or powerhouse like i don't feel comfortable doing this and there was a little pushback but i was like no i'm not gonna i'm telling you i'm not doing this if you don't want to do the whole appointment at all that's fine you can leave right now but I'm not going to do it. Also, because I'm just like, you see that stuff on like Instagram and like elevate hair and stuff. But it's like literally for that reel or for that photo. After that, it's... And they either spent all day or two days, like all day doing hair and then all day shooting hair. Yeah, Just exactly. to get that one look that someone wants in a regular sit-down appointment. It's not yeah. realistic. And that was a lesson I learned too because... I was just like, okay, for these kind of appointments too, like, thankfully, the, it was my last appointment of the day, but especially at the old salon, be like, oh, my first appointment is this huge transformation, and then I got to do five haircuts after that. And I'm like, no, if I'm doing this, like, giant transformation, this is my daily rate, because I'm not trying to rush through this. There's so many steps that you have to take, like, after the lightening is almost the easiest part because it's just let's just get this light and it's like all right now we got to tone the this. hard part is the patience with every little step yeah exactly and just not rushing it that's the thing i still struggle with just have the patience to do every little step don't yeah. rush it but yeah it's all those like elevate hair what you on instagram all that stuff like i feel like that's it's awesome but it's not me anymore. Yeah. And I feel like when I was younger, I was chasing that, like trying to do like the craziest, the most artsy Oh, that's hair. every young hairstylist. Yeah. Everyone that's, I just want to do vivid colors. I'm like, do them. Cause I don't want to like, mm -hmm. fuck that. I'm so over like spending eight hours turning someone's hair pink. And then they're not like, that's my thing now too. I'm like, if you're not 
gonna pre-book for at least the next six months to upkeep this like i'm not doing it because i'm not wasting my time for you to be like in four months hey i need a touch up i'm like no that's doing the whole service all over again and i told you that from the get-go and i'm not putting myself through that again yeah, it's again, it's going back to like saying no, the things that you can say no to. I am excited because in like two and a half weeks or something like Chrome Rose, I think everyone except Amanda, who's one of the newer stylists, we're all going to go to New Orleans to go to a hair show, which I don't even remember the last hair show I've been to. Me either. I was going to go to that one that you were in, but... I was too hungover. I couldn't oh. make it. <laughs> when Amber walked in, I was like, where's Kenneth? I know. I was so excited. I was like, oh, Jasmine's in it. She's in it. And then like. I, the- I ended up not doing hair. Oh, really? I think my model backed out last minute and I couldn't find a replacement. Yeah, that was like. That sh- hair show was so cool and so unique. And me and Amber were both sober at it. And I think. We both said, I was like, this is the first time, one, I'd ever been to a hair show sober. And it was just such a, like eye-opening experience. And like I had fun, too. And it was one of those things I think I had to learn how to navigate. Yeah. How to be social without alcohol. And, oh, but that was a left brain. I think it's left brain event with local honey out of Nashville. It was so I cool. Know, which I like... I think they're doing another one of those at Local Honey in Nashville coming up. Ooh, that'd be a fun little road trip. Yeah, because yeah. Local Honey, even though I'm like so anti-industry, I found, okay, these salons are like cool and they do their shit and they have an aesthetic to them that I appreciate, but isn't giving in to this like hair industry bullshit. So right. that's why I'm excited because like this New Orleans one looks very new orleans so it's gonna be really like witchy and i think it's Mm -hmm. less about it's more it's not so hyper focused on like the hair or the hair artist per se it's like the whole thing as a whole it's it's a performance Mm -hmm. like the stage setup and everything plus it's new orleans so it's just i don't know you're in that city and there's just like an electricity and vibrancy to it I'm also going a little earlier because I'm going to be DJing there as well nice which has been nice because the week before i'm going to new york and I'm going to be DJing there as well. So that's my, I guess, unintentionally. But now in my brain, I'm like, all right, this is the year where I'm going to just DJ everywhere I can and like really network and make those connections. Because I think now I've found like this new home with this party system, which is great. Because before I've been hired to DJ a lot of different things, but I think... And rightfully so, in Atlanta, I got pigeonholed because of Choloteca being like, oh, they're just a Latin DJ. And I'm just like, but don't put me in that box because, bitch, put me in the rave next to you. And yeah, I always like to have some kind of Latin flair to any set that I do, but it's just, I can do it all. And unfortunately, I think it has a lot to do with just like Atlanta rapidly changing and especially COVID fucked up so many projects that would have been great spaces now like Mammal Gallery and things like that and like the bakery, but there just wasn't really anywhere where I fit in anymore. Or I don't know, there was a time period where I was so like bitter and resentful because I'm like, I can't believe these people aren't like hiring me and the... And, you know, it's just, like, the age-old, like, putting, like, deflecting, not necessarily blame, but it's just don't, like, 
make people bad people just for the sake of making yourself feel better, feel validated yourself and focus on yourself because I am not an angel and I have been messy and quick to jump to the social media because when you get triggered, it's not an excuse, but sometimes you just can't help your emotional reaction. But that's a part of growing and I feel like I've grown a lot in that sense where it's like, all right, take a step back. Is it really that big a deal? Hit your joint and be like, is it big deal after this still? No? Okay, then let it go. And just focus on yourself. And like now I do feel like more people are like more open to me here specifically. But that was the thing is why I was starting to outsource to other cities. Because I was like, I feel like I have more connections in New York But it's also like New York is so expansive. So it was like the type of scenes there that I wanted to play are there. Whereas in Atlanta, like it's still growing in that sense. And I feel like this younger audience is definitely or this younger generation is going to bring that like bring back nightlife to Atlanta as it needs to be. Because we're kind of I feel like it's been at a standstill for a while. And it's just like, all right, we need this renaissance of these new names and all this stuff because unfortunately sometimes people like to gatekeep their like opportunities and stuff and I've never understood that because in the same vein as I don't want to cut bobs anymore if I'm like asked to DJ a certain event or something and it's just I don't really think I'm the right fit for this so I'm gonna suggest this person like it should be this network of people helping each other out because there's room for everyone there's coins for everybody and i as there's such a thing as like healthy competition but i feel like people think too much in the competitive nature because at the end of the day it's not even like when you're at that space in your head where you're like oh my god these people aren't hiring me it's not even because you want to get paid it's because you want that opportunity and want to play in front of people and prove to them like who you are as an artist. And you just have to trust the process too. But then also just realizing where to put your time into. Yes, it's good to network and go out and support a lot of different events, which I try to do. I can't say the same for all DJs in Atlanta, but it's like one of those things where it's okay, I don't also have to try to be your best friend or try to be in this group with you. And I think a lot of my younger self was trying to be like, all right, I have to be in this entourage. And it's just that I don't connect with any of y'all on this, like on a more spiritual level. And it's just, I feel like I'm having to like act cool in front of you. And I thought it was funny on your podcast with Amber, how you were talking about like now that we're at our age, I mean, like, I'm so glad that no one thinks I'm cool anymore because I think people still think I do. And there's always like your projection of yourself on like social media and shit. But at the end of the day, I'm like a fucking silly Billy nerd. I don't give a fuck about doing what's cool or like always being on point. Like love that for people that can, but it's just not me. I don't care about being in the spotlight in that sense. You get a little bit older. And you realize that, okay, I don't like the spotlight. I don't want to be in the spotlight. And having children, too, is the biggest mirror 
and biggest realization of, oh yeah, there's nothing I could do that would make my like 12 year old think I'm cool. <laughs> right. Even but, now I remember when my like, oh my God, my cousins that were like my little cousins who are now like in their mid twenties was like, damn, they used to think I was like the coolest kid when I was like 21. And now I'm like, well, y'all are cooler than me. Shit. <laughs> But it's a big relief, too, when you're honest yeah. with yourself, where you're like, I'm not trying for that anymore. Exactly. And even as a hairstylist, it's like this shedding a layer of, hey, I'm not a trend, trendy hairstylist, even though I will do trends on your hair. But like me as a person, I'm not trying to win you over with coolness. I'm just being myself. Yeah. And it's a big relief. And I think especially as far as for queer people, it does go back to what I was talking about earlier in my early 20s or just figuring out who I am because or now like this younger generation knowing who they are from the get-go which is gonna change like you that should change throughout your whole life but I like our generation is so specific because we grew up before the internet and then we got the first internet and we spent our weekends in chat rooms on aim and shit and then like technology just jumped and we have these phones and everything so like for me especially as a queer person and intersecting that with my like latinidad my early 20s i always think of as like my teen years those are my formative years because i was just like I didn't, I just was like, all right, graduated high school. Now I live in the city and I don't know what to do. I don't know who I am. Like, what the fuck? Let's just go party all the time. And that'll teach me who I am, which it does in ways, but. Yeah, it does. It's interesting now, like being in my thirties and being able to look back and reflect on that and be like, oh no, I don't need to do this or I don't have FOMO I don't have to go out tonight I don't want to because I'm fucking tired but and not being okay but then I don't know I just feel more excited about life currently at my age because I just feel like I have a better handle on myself and what I want out of it chose like I can I see that in you and I'm really proud of you you've done so much with like your DJ career and your hair career and I've seen you like start both of them so yeah. you saw me in the ratty beginnings same shout yeah. out Figo oh man <laughs> fun fact me and Kenneth were both servers at Figo at one point Figo Vinings Colin Lyerly was our manager that was a fun job that was a really fun also, job also like really stupid because we would then get wasted there and be like, all right, let's drive back to the city and go to Astoria <laughs> and get even more wasted. That was also before Uber was really a thing. I know. But and that's the thing, like all of these new. Do you remember when you used to have to drive my Bronco? Oh my God. To work I did that because once. Yeah. I didn't have a license. But or we you both... didn't know your license was suspended. And I was like, I don't have a car, but I have a license. And then I was like, together we the... make a team. Yeah. But that was, I kept my cool. But I remember driving there and I was like, oh my God, this is like fucking driving a boat because it was the Bronco. And I was like, I've never driven a car this big. And I was like, I'm terrified. But um, now I'm like, give me a big truck. Like my car is a decent size, but just get a beater truck. It's, I still have my Bronco and it's still a beater, but hey, it doesn't get broken into. Yeah, that's very true. But thanks for doing this. This was a lot of fun. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yes. I definitely enjoyed it. You gotta come back. For sure. All right, bye.